We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 1 this morning, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, says this, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. I'm going to stop right there. I think probably everyone in this room, and also most likely Most of the people outside of this room, whether they're in other churches or outside of church altogether, but most who have any idea about who Jesus was and how he lived, we probably have this feeling that we would love to live our lives with the peace, with the goodness, with the hope that Jesus had. There's a lot of people outside of the church that like at least certain things about Jesus. And you can find the, the staunchest atheist or, or even member of, of a completely different religion who will find things about the person of Jesus that not only that they admire, but that they would love to see become a part of their own lives. We see a Jesus who it's just hours before he will be arrested and then everything that follows that and he's on the mountainside and he's full of sorrow, he's full of grief, he's, but he's there, right? And we look at that and say, if you could, if you knew what was coming and didn't run away, immediately i find it hard to imagine that kind of peace right so much peace that even facing that much suffering you would choose to endure it and then throughout the gospels we see him enduring uh, verbal assaults and people insulting him and talking badly about him and he went to his own hometown and was rejected and he absorbed it he made it through that. He had peace and hope and joy even in the midst of it. It's not just Christians who would love to have a bit of that in their own lives, but certainly for us here in the church, would love to have that kind of peace in our own lives, let alone everything else that Jesus has, the ability to heal others. Have you ever, have you ever seen a friend or a loved one going through a difficult time and wished you could bring the kind of comfort that Jesus brought to people. The words that he would say, the things that he would do. 
I think probably everyone in this room would say as a general statement, we would really love to be more like Jesus in all that we are and all that we do. Of course, when we look at being like anyone, it's easy for us to say that we want to end up like the result. It's a lot more difficult to say we want to be like the process. Was, uh, my little brother Colby's here with us today. Last night we went to a local basketball court and just shot around for a little bit, played some two-on-two with some kids that were there. And uh, growing up, I knew a lot of kids that wanted to be like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. I knew a lot of kids that wanted to play in the NBA and have the money and the fame and play on such a huge stage in front of so many people. But I also saw the work ethic of those kids in our high school practices, right? And I know what it takes to compete at that level. Lots of people want to have their name on the screen on ESPN. Not a lot of people want to go to practice at 6 o'clock in the morning before doing it two more times for the rest of the day. But ultimately, if you want to get to the end, you have to emulate the process. And something really interesting happens in this passage. Jesus, uh, John the Baptist is baptizing down by the river, calling people to repentance. Jesus comes down. He, of course, doesn't need to repent. He's without sin, but he goes and is baptized anyway. Lots to be said about that. We will leave that behind for today, though. And he comes up out of the water, and the heavens are torn open, and the Spirit descends on him. And a voice came from heaven, the voice of the Father, that says, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. But here's something that's easy to forget about this passage, or just at least something that's easy to miss. We have to recognize that Jesus is about 30 years into his earthly life about 30 years into the incarnation, 30 years since the the story of his birth and 20-some years since they moved back from Egypt, 30 years of being raised by an earthly father and mother. And what we have in this passage is the essentially the family reunion of the Godhead. That Jesus, it says he left heaven He didn't leave any of himself behind. He left. He came and he dwelt on the earth. And he dwelt on the earth up until this moment. And in this moment, for the first time in 30 years of of our time here on earth, the Trinity, the Godhead, was reunited. They which had been one since the beginning came together again. Now, I don't know what that experience was like for the Father and for the Spirit who are outside of time, and I won't begin to claim that I understand anything about how that works, but from Jesus' side of things, who became man, stepped into time, felt time the way we feel it, 30 years that they had been apart. I wonder what, what you do 
when you see someone that you haven't seen for a long time, when you're brought together again with someone that you haven't seen for a long time, I think that we could probably say that whatever that exchange looked like will tell you a lot about the nature of the relationship of those people, right? If you think about reunions you've seen, I'm sure we've all been wrapped into those like soldier coming home from war early videos on Facebook that like make you just sit and cry by yourself. Anybody? Just me. I'll admit that publicly. That's fine. (laughs) If you watch a reunion of people that haven't seen each other for a long period of time, it tells you something about the relationship. Before church this this morning, we were reunited with um, Pastor John and Julie, who've been gone for far too long. That's going in my annual report. And it was wonderful, and, and I embraced... Well, I haven't seen John yet because he was talking to too many people. But I gave Julie the biggest hug, and I rested. I, I took a... I just breathed out. Because that's what my relationship with that couple is, that they give me rest. They are a place that I can rest. And so what we see here is this reunion. And, and again, I'm not saying anything about those 30 years, and while well, you're saying Jesus didn't pray, I, I'm not making any assumptions or, or statements about that. But we see for the first time in Scripture the three of them come together. There's no record of the Father speaking directly to Jesus before this. There's no record of the Spirit being present with him. So as far as we understand, that's what is happening here. They are coming together, and the Spirit remains on Jesus. In contrast to the prophets of the Old Testament, where the Spirit would descend, they would speak, they would do, they would act, and then it would return to where it came from, the Spirit remained on him. So what does God do? What do the Father, the Son, and the Spirit do? What does it look like when they come together? There's a brief greeting You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. There's the hello, there's the embrace of sorts. And then we get to verse 12, and it says this, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. I looked into the the language of this verse this week. The word immediately... In Greek, it's a, it's a fairly standard translation, but it's just this idea of, if there's any specific connotation of the word, it's a directness. It is, we are going straight to our destination and making no stops along the way. It is a just, it is a focus, it is a, it's priorities, it's this is where we're headed, we're going there now, we're not stopping, it's, it's direct. It's direct. And then the, the words that are, end up being translated into drove him out into the wilderness. The word here that's translated um, drove him out. It occurs all over the place in the New Testament, but often in a different form. 
Greek words more so than English would often have a kind of a root word, but then modifiers that would go on the end or the beginning that would shape the meaning of the word. Same root word, same idea. It's hard to find direct uh, direct parallels in English, but there's a root word, and then these modifiers shape exactly how you're to understand it. So with one modifier that's used most often, but it's important to get the sense of the root word, this is the word that is used when Jesus drives out a demon or when he drives out the money changers in the temple. It's a word that is used in a slightly different form to just force someone against their will out of a place or into a place. None of the demons wanted to leave the people they were occupying. None of the money changers wanted to leave the temple. They were overcome by the force in the spirit that Jesus had and compelled to leave and go somewhere else. In this verse, and this is the only verse in the entire New Testament that this root word is used this way, it means almost the exact same thing except in a spirit of cooperation. That is, it is it loses, in this verse, the modifiers cause it to lose the sense of, of force against one's will and determination against one's will. It loses the hostility It loses the hostility that is used when it's describing the removal of demons from someone's body. The the definition as written, which I found fascinating, was to lead one forth or away somewhere with a force that he or she cannot resist. Now, at first, that seems a little tricky for us as Nazarenes who follow a, a, uh, if you're into theology, a a Wesleyan tradition, all that to say that we believe in free will. We believe that God gives us the ability to choose him freely, and he allows us to make a choice to follow him. He doesn't force us into his kingdom. He doesn't force us into salvation or into church, and this can maybe get a little bit sticky, except for the fact that it's talking about Jesus. So even if we were to be tempted to think that this implies some sort of coercion or mistreatment, we have to remember that God treated himself this way first. To lead one forth or away somewhere with a force he cannot resist. Colby, can you help me for a minute? Come up on stage. Is that okay? You willing to do that? Is that a yes? Okay, I got a a head nod. Now, I asked Colby to come up on stage, and he willingly did so. You are all witnesses of that, correct? Now, now that Colby is up here, now Colby is getting bigger and he's getting stronger, but at least for the time being, I'm still a little bigger and still... And still definitely a little stronger. So what that means is, as he has given me permission, as he has come up here, 
if he needs to be over there, then I can probably make him go there. And if he were to say, I need help to get over there, if he were to say, put me where I need to be, I could probably, even if he didn't want to, make him. Uh, see, he's very compliant. <laughs> that, was, that was very helpful. He's compliant. But I could make him go there. All right? So now I'm going to move you back, but you're not going to let me quite so easy. Okay? So you're going to try and stay here. All right? Now, I'm still a little bit bigger. <laughs> and I can make him move over here. But he gave me... Permission. Have a seat. Thanks, Colb. See, that's that idea that the Spirit of God is powerful enough to move us. And God gives us a choice to enter into relationship with him, but Jesus models the nature of that relationship. That as soon as the spirit shows up and begins to be in unity, in union, in in community with Jesus, it compels him to go into the wilderness. Now, at any point, while Colby was on stage, if he had gotten a little nervous, a little stage fright, if he got embarrassed and had said, I don't want to do this anymore, I, of course, would have allowed him to sit down. I'd let him do that. At any point in the demonstration, he could have said, I don't want to do this anymore. I didn't know what I was signing up for when I came up here, and I want to sit back down. And I would have allowed him to do that. But he no longer would have been a part of what was happening. If he had said, I'll be up here, but don't touch me, let me do what I want. I would have had him sit down. Because he can make that choice, but that's not what's happening up here right now. So when we make a choice to enter into a relationship with God, we are making a choice to enter into the type of relationship that Jesus had with the Father and with the Spirit. It is a relationship of being led forth or away somewhere with a force that we cannot resist. And sometimes we need that because sometimes he's leading us into the desert. And nobody wants to go into the desert. Because the desert's a difficult place to be. In the desert, we're thirsty. And there have been times that that we've been through deserts and we're thirsty for friendships and relationships. We're thirsty for purpose. Thirsty for our lives that need to be gone to run their course, to die off, to pass on. The spirit immediately drove him out in the wilderness. Uh, There was no 
There was no three-day retreat to an oasis. There was no, let's go have some fun and enjoy each other's company for a little while. There was purpose. There was action. There was ministry to be done. And so immediately the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. We always want the end result, the product of who Jesus was. We would love when people disagree with us to be able to silence them the way Jesus silenced his opponents. But one of the reasons Jesus was so able to silence his opponents is all of his opinions were the father's opinions. That if he declared something publicly, it was because the spirit was sourcing him to believe it and declare it publicly. And he made sure that it wasn't of him. It wasn't his personal preferences. So we would love to be able to get on Facebook and always be right and always embarrass the people on the other side of the computer. But in order for that to happen, everything that we're putting in has to be sourced by the Spirit. And we often, I think, in our faith, we kind of jump back and forth. And I don't want to be too black and white about this, that your relationship with God is like a light switch and it's either on or off, but I also don't want to go so far the other direction that we just get to pick and choose where we're obedient. Say, I could be disobedient over here and not follow him and I cannot let him move me over here and expect that he's going to do things in my life on this side. Expect him to work in my work situation, my financial situation when I'm not allowing him to move and work in the way I treat my family at home. Because those are two different things, but they're all sourced by the same relationship. And if the spirit is going to dwell within you, which it wants to, the spirit wants to dwell within you and empower you and source you the same way it sourced Jesus. But in order for that to happen, there's a nature of that relationship. And it's revealed here in Jesus. The nature of the relationship of the Spirit dwelling in you is that it will move you with a force that you cannot resist. And that's a yes or a no in a lot of ways. Are you allowing God to move you places? Are you allowing God to move you places where you are uncomfortable? Or are you at a point in your life, in your faith, in your walk where you've succumbed to resisting? Where you start to say, I don't want to go there. I don't want you to lead me there. And the spirit 
allowing you your free will, takes a step back and says, okay, I'll be here. I still know where we're going. I still want to bring you there. Let me know when you're ready to move. And, and we say, God, why am I not over there yet? I started over here. You told me you wanted to bring me there. I started broken. You told me you wanted to be healed. I, I started addicted and you told me I was going to be free. I, I started in anger and you said you wanted me to have peace and we started moving so well, but now I'm, I'm stuck. God, why am I not over there yet? And maybe sometimes it's time. Sometimes you'd think that the, that God could have tempted or allowed Jesus to be tempted in four days instead of 40. Sometimes it needs to be 40 for whatever reason he has. Sometimes we need to be patient, but other times we're stuck because we resisted to the point that the spirit just said, okay, when you're ready, allow me to do what I need to do. Allow me to have the relationship with you that I want to have. Father, we, uh, we gather in this place and we desire to be a church surrendered to you. And a church is a body and it is made up of parts and Lord, we want to see the whole thing surrendered. We want to see revival break out in Loudoun. We want to see it here. We want to see your power at work in our communities, in our neighbors, in our friends, in our co-workers. As we're talking about leadership for next year and teams that are focused on certain tasks we want to be we want our ministries to be alive and and productive and helpful to people and we know that we need to as a church be fully surrendered to you that as a church leadership we're not trying to become any type of ministry we're not we don't want to have this equipment or do these specific programs we we want to be the kind of church you're calling us to be. We don't want to be big or small. or We don't want to have the best technology or the worst. We, are, we just want to be the church that you need us to be. Where your work will be done the most effectively whether that's growing in numbers, growing in dedication, in discipleship, whether in healing, whether in giving. And a surrendered church begins with surrendered individuals. So, Father, I pray for myself right now. That you bring to my sight areas in my heart where I don't want that sort of irresistible movement relationship with you, where I am pushing against that. And I pray for forgiveness and strength to follow you in those areas.
when we face difficulty, when we face opposition, when things don't go right in our lives or how we expected, when we are confronted with our own wrongdoing or inadequacy or failure, Father, may we fully surrender in those times and say, Spirit, drive me into whatever desert you will so that I may be refined and purified, fit for service in your kingdom. I pray this in the name of the Savior whose example we follow, Jesus Christ. 